0: Welcome back to the show. Today we have a very special interview with Lieutenant Colonel Jason Pike. In this episode, Jason shares so much of his story and it is honestly it's such a powerful episode. Jason is a motivational speaker and author. He's a decorated combat veteran with multiple deployments. Lieutenant Colonel Jason Pike served 31 years in the US Army including nine years overseas in five different countries. Jason earned over 30 service awards and badges and his diversity of army jobs, assignments, and schools from ages 17 to 48 sets this military memoir up differently than most. With a very straightforward account of one man's journey, he inspires audiences nationwide to show how to be resilient, and how to persevere no matter what disadvantages and life struggles may happen to you. In this episode, we talk about Jason's low points of his story, overcoming osteomyelitis as a kid, being identified as having a learning disability, many challenges during his 31 years in the army, and how he continued to move forward, not quit, build his grit, perseverance, and persistence. And He shares what the journey was like for him to put his book together. As a student working through many different learning disabilities, the thought of publishing his book seemed far off, yet he knew it was something he was called to do. His book is called A Soldier Against All Odds. And in this episode, he shares what the vulnerable experience was like to write and share a very vulnerable story. During that process, he shares his story and what his body physically and physiologically went through, what he experienced with releasing these stories and trauma that his body had held on to for his entire lifetime. It's unreal. And this is really a testament of the power of our emotions and what our bodies are holding on to. It shows how sharing that vulnerable story is a great way to release it out into the world. And this book is going to continue to help so many people. I cannot wait to share this episode with you. I know you're going to love it. Welcome to the show today, Jason. I am thrilled to have you here.
1: Hey, I'm very happy to be on your show today.
0: So we, like, there are so many places that we can start and go with you and your story, but everything that I read about you is all about, like, grit, perseverance, and persistence, and not quitting, even though you have had tremendous amount of challenges come your way. Um, Before we even dive into you and your story, where does that come from?
1: Challenge, oh my God, it came, it came from just living a, I was failure and pain were introduced early in my life just because of a bone disease. First, I had a bone disease, dissolved the left knee and it damn thing grew back. And then at, at the same around that same time, I was diagnosed with a learning disability from a professional uh, Emory University down in Atlanta, Georgia. And well, and also two other times. <laughs> so three different people said you are not that right. And so I uh, I, I just said, well, you know, I got three college degrees and I, and I rose up to a high rank, but the never quit also was reinforced by my father. Like you, you start a game, you're not quitting the game. Matter of fact, my father came from really poor, poor white trash. We're talking about stealing food, poor time rags, rag, rags around your feet, poor. And he says, it's okay to have a fun time and get in trouble. Yeah. I mean, he taught, he, he taught us how to steal watermelons and how to shoot bottle rockets at cars, but he's the best father in the world but he said, don't never quit. (laughs) And so, and so I had it multiple angles Bob. that long long story short that that's, that's where that never quit grit came from. Yeah.
0: Came from him. Yeah. I thought it came from him and I, and I love that. Like that's, that's something that is instilled in you at a young age. And my, I had a family member who had um, osteomyelitis and almost lost his life because it was in his sternum near the heart. And so that was, do you say you were seven
1: when that was, when that happened? It was about the age of maybe nine at the okay. age of seven. That was when they said I failed the first grade and it was English by the way. <laughs> so, and, 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 they said, um, yeah, about age nine. My, I, I thought I had it once. My mom said I had it twice, but they would, it was in the seventies where they had these needles and they would directly put these needles with antibiotics directly into the bone. And there was no, it was just hurt. It hurt so bad. And I was like, oh, I just, it was, I, I don't know why, I I don't know why they didn't try to put any anesthetic around there with the needles, damn, you know, it's scary. And you're only nine years old and it's going directly into your knee to get rid of the infection. And so, so my, at least there's one good thing, I guess. I mean, my age is 57, but my left knee is at the age of about 48 whatever. So,
0: (laughs) (laughs) well, it's interesting. And I wonder if it's because you were still young, growing growth plates were happening that you know, having osteomyelitis at that age and you said it like you grew back, like you grew back that piece, like you were able to have full function. Cause you know, if you had that as an adult, I don't, that probably wouldn't be the case.
1: I guess not because I was still considered growing at that age. And uh, Mm -hmm. I was on crutches for a long time. And I, I do remember always going to the doctor to get injections into the knee. I remember the doctor saying, this is a very brave young man to handle all this pain. And I, I would be so scared, right? I almost wanted to cry, but I just knew I had to just go ahead and get the darn needle, put it in there every so often with their medicine. And I said, that was hard and just, uh, you know, that's, that was, and the, yeah, and that's, that was a tough. So, so I, I think kids are a little bit more resilient than, uh, than adults in many ways. And so that, to me, it was introducing just pain, right? Just, yeah. just you know, taking the pain, and then I mean, even right now, if I accidentally cut myself, I don't feel it as well. I don't like I'll be bleeding somewhere, and I'm thinking, like, where did that come from? How did I do that? But <laughs> so I so I have a high pain threshold anyway. I don't know. It may be that, and then failing. You know, my like every every uh, young uh, every every parent usually cares about their sons and daughters' education. That's kind of a big thing, but. They didn't have much expectations on me. I'll put it that way because it was professional and saying, you know, he's not really getting it together on this stage. English, writing, your word formations. They And then I had to do this test to where I, they, they knew I was way behind. And uh, really, even a, as a college person, I had to get help. I had to find ways to get around uh, around a lot of these things. And so, um, yeah, another part of this book is uh, once you don't quit, you can – if. I became a man, I became creative. You know? I said, well, this is the problem. I want to do this. How do I get around it? Okay. Oh yeah, SATs, I slammed. I, no, no, I, I didn't do good at all. But there are colleges like junior colleges or community colleges that they just say, hey, you want to come in? You just come in. Lane, little lame, lazy, or crazy, don't matter. And then from there, if you do good there, you can go transfer into something else. So that's yeah, just an example of how I maneuvered a little bit. Yeah, I like to call that resourceful.
0: Resourceful, yeah. I it's resourceful. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a positive spin. It's resourceful. As you went through this, like, did you always know you wanted to be in the army?
1: Was yes, like that point? was that was pretty much because it was verified that you know college. I mean, my high school counselor: you either going to the military or you're going to college. College was out of the question. We 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 sort of knew that mm-hmm. because of the even my high school counselor told me not even go to college not don't even go i mean if you want to if you went to a college you would go to a like maybe a tech school get us trade or something mm-hmm. but um i eventually uh i went against their advice and did go to what happens military where, where i'm from it's sort of like you know it's no big it's a it's a place to go it's a way to start life and things and it's not a it's considered a rep and i didn't i went to the national Guard uh the national guard's a reserve i didn't even have a high school diploma Good question is how did I pass the entrance exam to the National Guard? I don't think I did. I slimed my way in. I lied about my knee. I told them there's no problem with that, and uh, but and then I, I just I just I just slimed my way in. But I went to the reserves and National Guards. They're weekend warriors. They're one week in a month, two weeks a year. Yeah drinking beer and shooting, weapons. a lot of stories in there on that, but uh, no, we, th- th- they are our less than best. They probably just passed me in. Once I got my foot in the door, I said, well, I think eventually I'm going to become an officer or a manager and, I th- and I'm going to go to active duty just as long as I can avoid any entrance tests. And I didn't have to take another entrance test, believe it or not, that mm-hmm. I had already stepped my foot in the door. And from there, I just transferred into the active duty from the, from the reserves or the, the nasty guards. Sometimes I called them the nasty girls, but we have all these weird terms and stuff. Yeah. You
0: know? <laughs> <laughs> what age were you when you went into active duty from National Guard?
1: So uh, seven. So I joined when I was seventeen, without any. In, between my eleventh and twelfth grade year. I got back into high school and started to go to junior college. So by the time that I went on active duty, I had become an officer in the reserves or the National Guard. And I uh, I was trying to hide away from the I got an ROTC scholarship and I I did. I wanted to stay in the reserves, but um, they said, you've got to come to, to active duty to fulfill your scholarship because I did get a scholarship there. And so I said, well, I'd already been fired from two civilian jobs (laughs) and civilian life wasn't working out for me. And it just happened to be like, hey, you got to go. I said, yeah, yeah, I'll go. I don't have a job. So I got off of unemployment, even though I had a master's degree and I went on to active duty. Yeah, that's kind of how that worked. So I had already I was 27 years old when I finally went on active duty, fired from two civilian jobs. Yeah.
0: Wow. Wow. There's just like, there's so much there. And I knew there's a lot to your story. I know there's a lot to your story. So as you went in, so 27, you're in active duty. And how many years were you in the military?
1: So from age 27. straight through. I knew once I hit active duty, I'm staying. I went from uh, age 27 and retired at 48, like a little over 20 years, 22, 23 years. Now that's 31 years when I say that that's how much time I have in the service, but that's reserve forces including, and I included my ROTC time. So I was in the military in some form or fashion from the age of 17 to 48. And uh, yeah, so I was active duty more than 22, 23 years, something like that.
0: Yeah, And you worked yourself up in the ranks as well.
1: I sure did, sure did. Um, and I believe the I surprised everybody, I surprised myself. I I learned to be what resourceful. That's what you say. I learned to be resourceful and uh, compensate for my weaknesses uh, that I had, which were many and I surprised a lot of people uh, how like even my father, how the hell the hell son, did you do this? I mean, how'd you do? And everybody was like, how did you do? I said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to get a book. I'm going to write a book. Uh, eventually I didn't know when. And I said, I'll write a book and now I'll give you the book, but you're not going to read it. You just want to say, hey, well, okay, but I, that's a different story. So, but yeah, I got the book that uh, it, had it, been nagging at me. Just graduating from college was a, was an inspirational story in itself. And then once all these multiple things go on throughout the book, uh almost falling into poop and drowning and uh, having bad airplane crash just just you know war and, and ranks and i thought you know i can put this thing together but I'm gonna have to wait until my mom and dad die because they don't want to hear about it, all this stuff. So we had they they have a reputation, but wherever whatever you believe in in life, uh, as far as spirituality, they're not on this earth and they're either somewhere else. So uh mm-hmm. that's I waited, I'm gonna wait for them to pass away before I did that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I understand that actually. I actually understand that really well. I've I've published a few times, but my book about myself and the story that we walk through. And then there's even one, like, I know that there's one that I could do even from childhood, but I'm going to save my parents that right now. So (laughs) where do we even go with this? I want to talk about, I know, right? (laughs) Tell us about a couple of the low moments. We're not going to stay there, but I do want to talk about them. So Arrested For DUI, federal investigation. Tell us about some of these moments because it's easy to look at a person on the highlight reel and think, Oh, they've got it all together and it was easy for them. And I know from the work that I've done into looking into you, no, it's not even fair to say that this has been easy.
1: No, I, um, I tell you what, yeah, I have, I've been arrested. I, I surprised the authorities in multiple ways. I surprised my family in multiple ways and, uh, Going to that DUI story, um, I was a captain. Now, it was in 1995, and this is a time. I mean, we have standards in the military, and there are certain things you do not do, and if you do them, you're facing the wind, you're you're getting kicked out. Drugs, alcohol, misbehavior, especially coming from someone who was a military officer as a manor. So those are, you know, you held to a certain condition. So, uh, well, (laughs) with the DUI, I was a captain, active duty captain, and, and what happened was, I actually went, I was drinking and driving, but I went into a restaurant and I think there was a officer outside who came and wait, he, 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 maybe he was parked, maybe he had followed me. But while I went into the restaurant, he came in with this patrol car, put on the sirens and I saw him outside. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, there's a police officer that needs help. So I ran out of help to him and uh, says, you need some help? He says, no, I don't need any help. He says, you've been drinking. I said, yeah. Is that your car over there? I said, Yeah. He said, okay, let's do this sobriety test. Did a sobriety test on me, cuffed me and stuffed me, and went went downtown and stayed overnight. And the drunk tank and the military police got me the next morning. But I it, was it a setup? I, I don't know. I did t- I, I blew hot. Uh I blew hot on the alkalizer test. Uh and and it's pretty much conventional wisdom. <laughs> you are going to be eventually kicked out. Uh and that uh that process of appealing it took more than civilian process of, of 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 getting it off the record was no problem. It was the military. I had to get an attorney, and then we had to uh, go through motion after motion after motion over two year process. Get letters of support. All this. It's like a book. I kind of that's in the middle to me. It's about a book. About everybody's saying you're a good guy. You need to have a chance. They spent too much money on you to kick you out. And yada 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 yada. And so I did that. Sent it in there and. Uh, they said, "Okay, all right, but we're, we're going to put this on your restricted file where no one looks at it." But uh, it took two and a half years. The training is—you're not going to survive. It, it ain't going to happen. It's a—it was a long shot. But I just went ahead to give give it my best try, and I, and it worked. And uh, again, uh, legally, uh, I, I beat the odds on that system. And really, getting caught—it uh, really woke me up to what you know, yeah. what do I really want to do? Do I, do I want to do this and be stupid like this all the time? Or, and it really, cause a lot of people looked at me after that DUI and said, man, you changed, man, you changed. They didn't know about it. and never talked about it, but some people knew. And mm-hmm. some people that are higher than they knew that. And, uh, and they wondered how did he make major, how do you make Lieutenant Colonel? I thought he had a DUI back down in Texas. So again, it's just another one of those stories. Uh, but I did, I did, <laughs> I did, I did, uh, got rid of it. And so, yeah.
0: Good, but you like you took that as a learning experience. You decided to push through, persevere, and say, like, I don't want this as my like, this is not my full story. And yes, I've made this mistake, but I would like to move past this and be able to grow. So, like, you did have to fight it for quite a while to be able to have it go. And I just think I I always admire when people are openly sharing. Parts of themselves because it is relatable. It's also I'm not justifying it, and you know that. But like in 1995, things were different than now. Like it is, it is, it was different. And I remember being a kid at one point and saying, "I refuse to get in the car at the end of a family wedding because my I refused." And they're like, "Get in the car!" And I'm like, "No, I'm not going." And it was just this. <laughs> it was this this time, and that's what times were like then. So. I completely I completely get this. Um, So when did you first go overseas?
1: Well, I went overseas. I I live. So uh, nine years I have had overseas in five different countries. First time really going overseas was in South Korea. Um, And so uh, I was there for a year as an executive officer. Uh, I did a little bit like a two week stint in Italy in the National Guard. I was attracted, I liked, I liked living overseas. I've lived in many countries overseas. And so South Korea was really my first where I lived uh, and, and stayed for a year. And, uh, that was very enjoyable. I went off, uh, dated girls in Korea and then I learned about girls down in the Philippines and I went down there, I went AWOL absent without leave, which is not good. And so okay. I don't know how it ended up yeah, So I had a wild hair up me and I, I kind of felt like. in many ways in my younger years, I felt like I was above the law in a way because I've already defied the odds. I got a college education. I've done what everybody says they couldn't do. And I'm thinking I can do anything. I mean, it's, it's good to have self-confidence, but we don't just, you know, you have to tame yourself down a little bit. So, uh, but yeah, that's, that was my first experience uh, in South Korea. Yeah. Mm.
0: And so in South Korea, is this, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, you know i'm going sorry anybody who doesn't know yet um there's a part of your story that i couldn't help but laugh aloud when i heard it and
1: um i would yeah. love to i mean yeah go okay I, I, yeah i'm laying that. So uh, land navigation, something finding your points on a map is a, is a skill for the military. We need to learn how to find our way alone at night or anytime and read and, and, read and uh, follow a map in the woods at night or daytime. It doesn't matter. Well, uh, I was uh, taking this important expert field medical badge. I wanted to be this medic, but I had to do this a lot of things uh, on this. So this, this particular part of the test was land navigation at night. Well, they told us if you fall into shit, uh, you're going to be medically backed out of there. Back in that time, cesspools or night soil was uh, collected along these ditches uh, around rice fields. That's what they use to fertilize their crops. Well, it's at night. I could smell it. I knew it was there on my left. And so I said, i got to stay away from this. Well, uh, it's slippery. Uh, Shit slippery, I guess. And I, I slipped. I uh, hit my ass and I went right into the cesspool neck deep and uh, oh. the, I was, you know, I was going down. I was going, this is where I'm going to drown. This is where I'm going to, this is going to be the end of my life. I, g- I got to keep my airway up. I got to make sure I don't gag. I mean, because of the smell, I don't want it to, yeah. Yeah, I don't want it to come enter in me and suffocate. I got to stay up, but I can't go fast. I have to sort of flutter. It's like a quick sand material. So I was like, I did a slow, slow caterpillar move up and got, up on it and then low crawled out once I low crawled out I felt relieved I felt I just saved my life but I, I was a mob of shit at that time and I had another problem was to save my face I want to save my embarrassment my last name is Pike and I don't want to be called and yeah. Pike and that'll be my legacy so I gotta somehow get back to camp uh, uh and clean up without anybody knowing about it And avoid other. There's other people that are out there doing their thing as far as looking for points on maps and displaying their competency doing land navigation. I saw we're not supposed to go there, but there was a farmhouse. Uh, Well, first of all, I was a mob of shit, so I rolled around like a dog to get the bulk of it off. And then once I did that, I walked to the farmhouse. I saw a light out there. I said, I don't know what I'm going to (laughs) do. I'm walking towards this light. I know I'm not supposed to be there, but it might be walking toward heaven or hell. But I, I find somebody to. Because the Koreans they don't speak to the Americans, and so I went, knocked on the door, on the front porch, and I go broken English and I, anya haseyo, anya haseyo. and they come, to, the woman come to the door and goes I go and she like, she of course, English it was an emergency situation, so English was not necessary, so she did, we did a lot of hand motioning and waving, and she she told me to strip naked, I stri- stripped butt naked in front of a complete stranger. I gave her all my equipment and my clothes uh, except my map and my rifle and my compass. I gave her all that except a few different things and then you know it permeated so I still smashed a lot and she, she 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 told me that she was going to find me somehow uh, in that morning before everybody woke up uh, that that she'll deliver to me clean. And uh, so and then the next problem I had was to walk butt naked about more than a mile to the camp before they got back. I got to do it secretly because I don't want them to see me walking naked or smell me. <laughs> they could either do one of the two things. So so I had to maneuver my way around the woods and uh, got back to camp. Uh, I moved all my things out and I washed up and I slept out under the stars. She came in my very, fairy, fairy godmother came in that morning before everybody woke up and mm-hmm. gave me my, uh, gave me my stuff. And, uh, I gave her some money, I think. And then, uh, and she, yeah, I was, I was done. I was good. I was good to go. And they were, everybody was wondering why I had such a crisp uh, clean uniform, but uh, that that's another. But I, yeah, I, I saved my face. I think one person knew about it, but he thought my recovery was really good, and he he didn't want to he didn't want to tell nobody about it.
0: <coughs> Doesn't that just say something about human nature? In a sense, that you had a person who a female who wouldn't have spoken to Americans specifically. She sees the situation you're in. She's offering to take your clothes and clean and bring them back. Like there's just something about that to me that is just. Yes, we're laughing. I mean, I appreciate your honesty. I do, because it was just like when I heard the story. But I also, there's that piece of it about like just the human spirit and human nature to be able to do something like that and offer that for someone when half the time now, like if our doorbell rings, people don't answer it. Like it's such a different, it's just, there's something really special about that.
1: It varies. Very, very special. Very special. And uh, I, I, I really if you're a, a person in need, we're all humans and they could definitely tell me, I guess they could say, get away. I mean, I think they know that they're not supposed to interact with soldiers because they've got their points. They, I would assume sh- they're using part of her land to do this. She has an agreement with the military that yeah. they can use this. And so, and they know of soldiers that we've been there for years. I'm sure she grew up with soldiers walking around, but uh, yeah, it was human, yeah, and, and she doesn't speak, and I don't speak it, and she just decided that she was going to help me, seeing me so sorry. I mean, I'm just a pile of shit, and she's knowing, like you know, she this guy needs help. I'm going to try to help him out. So there's yeah. just
0: one thing. There's two parts to that story that I absolutely <laughs> that I love. To be honest, um, you've had so many different scary traumatic stories that have happened to you over the years what are the ones stick out for you that people will relate to also it they demonstrate your perseverance again this perseverance the persistence that you had to keep going
1: well uh, one of the worst uh times in my life was what I was a senior military officer mm-hmm. and I was a lieutenant colonel and I had a whole lot of experience under my belt I'd done a whole lot of things. And, uh, but, you know, you have these cliques or groups, or you could call it territoriality. Uh, I went to South Korea on my third tour. This was not war. We're just going to another deployment and another year or two. Well, I brought my family there for three years, and I had already been familiar with Korea. I walked into a place that was going to be in my subject area of public health, but the leadership and the people there, I could tell they didn't like me or didn't want me there. I don't know what the deal was, but I could i could tell it like an animal instinct. I mm-hmm. could tell something was going to happen. I could tell just by behavior of people, how they look, how they act, and how the, the mood of the place was. And damn sure it happened. I mean, we all have a place where we're backstabbed in life. Another term would be thrown under the bus yep. or uh, sometimes you call it ghost lighting. And that's exactly what played out for more than two years over there. Um, What it was, was I was disagreeable about doing publishing of papers and things. I never gave an excuse of being a learning disabled person or as far as someone who can't really write and read too well, especially at an academic level. (laughs) So, And they were doing some papers and publishing, and I told them I didn't want to do that. I've got other skills I've got that like I got other skills that I can use for the army and I didn't want to do that. I knew that wasn't my subject area anyway. Well, that didn't go over too well. It was a professional disagreement and I found myself being faced with a federal investigation of espionage and subversion against the U.S. government. This was through the criminal investigation division of the army and the military intelligence of the army. So there was also, I call them events. That's one event that I can definitely say that was out there and they were doing stuff all right there was another event where they tried to put a rumor before that they first of all they wanted a rumor that i was a pedophile so the pedophile that's a false charge as well once that didn't work um then if then i from a pedophile i became someone who was a spy so what it happens if you're in senior management um you can make stuff up i mean you can it's called the tip It's another term. They call it the hit or the takeout or takedown. You can, you're not going to get fired. You can get a bad evaluation, but what they can do is stir stuff up to where you are moved away or uh, it'd be a long shot, but they could actually kick you out if they found any truth in any of this stuff, which was no truth, no truth at all. But so from being a pedophile that was around the town to now, going through subversion and espionage I, i'll give them credit they 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 tried different hits and, and none of them worked now did it cause me a lot of stress and yes i never wanted to kill anybody in my life until i heard about this stuff and seeing this stuff and it was because i didn't play their game right i mean that's the reason it happened and, it, and at these events computer crashes people follow me around with boom cameras trying this trying that nothing ever happened uh, Just weird things that went on. It was a stressful time. And a lot of folks will say, why don't you just move? In other words, well, they they did move me to another place in the uh, 8th Army, which actually helped me. But that's but uh, you just can't move. And if you're trying to work on your 20 years, you know, I I grew up with never quit. I said, let's just let's just keep this thing going. Keep it going. And it was a hard, hard time. Hard time. Yeah.
0: That had to be, uh, I'm just in my brain, I'm like trying to also understand like this piece about not quitting, but also working for somebody. I mean, I don't know which somebody's big somebody, but somebody that is making life that difficult for you and out of your control. That had to be a really difficult time. Now, from that point in time to when you retired, how long was that?
1: So that would be 2007, eight, and nine and I retired in 2014. So okay. I, uh, so I had gotten out, I left that situation in 2010. So i dealt with that for two and a half to three years. Long I don't time. know. I had an animal instinct that I knew that something was going to happen just by the behavior and that, you know, I think, yeah, yeah, I couldn't have, uh, I just, I said, no, I, I think something's going down. And it did. Um, I looked back at how I could how I could have changed it, but I couldn't walk the guys walk. I couldn't walk their walk. I had to be myself that's the only way i like, this is so, um, yeah. So, uh, I left there in 2010 with, a with basically, uh, I was considered mud. My name was mud. My, my security clearance was challenged. I went to mental health on that and they, they came back good. You're good with your security clearance. So I'd, nothing happened there. And I think some people thought, well, let's send him to Afghanistan. Um, and I looked at Afghanistan as a way to get redeemed coming out. That's. I mean, I, I, I just I was in a bad situation. There, I was, my name was Mud, and they gave me the opportunity to command a unit in Afghanistan. The problem, I was trained for war and, and we did a lot of training for Afghanistan, but there was a sequence of events. You had that federal investigation that was all bogus. That was just stupid stuff. Uh, and then you had my father dying right there. After that, I come back mm-hmm. and I see him die at that same time. My dad's dying uh i'm preparing to go to war in other words i'm preparing a unit to go to afghanistan so i was my mental condition was really 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 bad i had i, I was not at that time i was not able to even articulate about the federal investigation and the pedophilia and all that stuff i was just trying to survive on and then well i got away from that south korea now i'm back in america and i got a unit of going in afghanistan maybe i can just sort of get my mind straight and go forward And but, um, my dad's dying, which I'm in grief right there is not. And so my, my, I could, I, I could have gotten out of Afghanistan through mental health because that, uh, I was, I was done. I was, I was, I was on, I was just working off of fumes. Uh, but, uh, then I talked to my uncle and my uncle said, you know, I, you're, you you know, you care about your father a lot, but this, he's not going to want you to do this. And mm-hmm. so, and I said, Oh God, I said, now I gotta go. And so I, I did, I went ahead and, uh, went ahead and, Went there and I told the soldiers that my father had died and that I ain't right. And I didn't tell them, I didn't tell them about the federal investigation, which really was a big sucker punch for me uh, and all the other stuff that happened over there. And uh, they helped me out. I helped them out. I said, Whatever you need, whatever I can do for you. Just please just get trained, let's get trained, go to Afghanistan, let's do all the training and then get over there and just do the job. And that, that's what happened, really. And a lot of them, they were like, they were looking out for me. They're saying, Sir, sir, did you remember to do this? I, I couldn't, couldn't really think. Most yeah. of the time I'd walk around, I was out in Afghanistan. I, I kind of had a death wish over there. I kind of like, yeah, one, I'd like one of these bombs to take me out. Just take me out. That's kind of how I thought I was the last one walking out of the, when the, when their incoming rounds coming in, I would be the last one walking out of the tent because everybody runs out. And I'm thinking, yeah, come on, man. I, I kind of, so my mind wasn't right there, um, but we did all survive. We all got out. Matter of fact, we, we did very, very well in Afghanistan. It was considered my, uh, best performance as far as the army is concerned ever. I mean, the way they wrote up my evaluation was just wonderful. And, uh, you know, got a bronze star out of there and, you know, check that block and and i actually was redeemed <laughs> i got redeemed to come out and they said you did great you did great now you can take any place you want and i was i was still mad about the investigation and all the pedophilias thinking what about all that stuff well we don't we don't we don't, we don't talk about that we, we don't know oh, and so exactly. i said like, so, yeah so so yeah he says so he said well you can uh take your assignment whatever you want and i said all right i'll go to germany I'll just go over there, hang out for two years, easy job, and retire out of Germany. And I did. I was I was really on fumes after Afghanistan and all the grief of my father. That one, two, three punch. I was pretty much done. And I said, you know, I've done the I've done the war tour. I did well there. I want to get out. But the family said, hey, uh, y'all want to go to Germany? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. We to, we never been over there, so we'll just go over there and retire out of there. And that's basically what happened then. You know. Wow, that's I was. How long were you in Afghanistan for? Mm, about one year. Uh, got in, uh, got in in March of 2011. Got out in January of uh, 2012. So maybe technically about ten months. But we trained uh, a lot before we go over there. They have to validate you as we go through a whole series of training. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, that must like that sounds like such a obviously a difficult time. One of the things that you I've heard you say is, um, so I'm Canadian. And one of my very first, I'm just going to say is like, I, I didn't say thank you for your service, which I, and I don't mean that in a way. I just don't, we don't, but I know I have a lot of friends who are American. It's like the first thing you say. So I just want to say that, but one of the things that you I've heard you talk about is what a hero is and how, and like how you, who the heroes are. And there was something I found really touching and emotional and personal about how you share, like who the heroes are.
1: I thought that the heroes are the ones who didn't come back alive. They're the ones who died over there. Um, a lot of the heroes are the people who took the hit or their their legs or their arms. And then they have to, because they really did give uh, a lot. They give your arm, you give your leg. Oh, I said, some of the guys have got burned up. A lot of times you'll get burned from the fire of a bomb and they'll, your face is just, you know, and so, and then those burn victims, they have a particular hell they have to go through. I've talked to a lot of them They you know, skin grows and you have to have skin grafts that continually different as you age or as you go through life, you have to you have to go and do surgeries. Oh, your damn life with with the with a burn with a burn victim. So I, those are those are some I Yeah, Yeah. So I, I never knew that until I talked to those guys. But yeah, those are my heroes, you know.
0: Yeah. I just think that's really special to say because I think um I don't know if I've heard it said that way before. And I just found that to be, you know, I think it's really easy to forget what some people have gone through, the prices that they paid, the things that they've done, like what it's done to them physically, emotionally. And so I just think that that is really powerful. And I know that that's not necessarily what your story is about, but knowing your background and experience, right? Like we're in this time where um, I don't know how much support, I can't say because I don't know in the States, but how much support um, people are receiving, coming back out of the military, like PTSD, emotional support, mental health. Like it's just... Thanking thanking someone for their service, for the years that they have worked, but not also realizing how it's impacting and changing their life. Those are two different things, right? The services, the years maybe that they're there, but they're still paying for that in so many ways, shape, and form mm
1: mm-hmm. yeah they'll pay for it you manage it they'll have to pay for it the rest of their life it's a management thing and um it, yeah it's they, they you've got the regular veterans administration that helps out with PTSD but you also got nonprofits. there are a lot of nonprofits that yeah. will help you out uh, I kind of in particular like I kind of like recommend someone go to a one-stop shop type of a it could be meditation it could be bicycling it could be of fly fishing, it could be meditating, whatever. And they'll say, okay, try this, try this, try this, try this. And you for a period of days, you'll try different methods to see what you might like. And uh, so I think that is a really good way to go uh, as far as your uh, management of the trauma yeah mm-hmm. just to try out I mean I, I don't like meditation but other people do but uh you can do the other things physical fitness the elliptical and I I remember uh crying uh on an elliptical and I went through a process by accident uh when I was going through the left right left process of the elliptical that uh, yeah my, my emotions oh I started getting mad and I, uh, I was crying I was making all these sounds and I was it was coming out of me and I said Wow, I, I might I might break this elliptical here, but it's helping me out. I, I'm gonna come back and do it, and I did it about every day. And it felt like um. I, I got my mind to have these visions and popping and anything, this thing, that thing, and then I was working out, and I was going through a processing mechanism. And I, you've heard of people that when they walk the floor, uh, that's that's a, they're looking down and they're, they're but yeah, there's. There's different ways, different, you know, different strokes for different folks out there.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that part with us, because I think this is another piece that, you know, there's so many different parts of your story, but there's also this very vulnerable side that you share a lot of the experiences in which you've had to grow through and learning how to support yourself. And that's like truly an emotional release, which you just went through there. And it's really tough when, you know, not just a career military, but also, For generations, we've been told to like, just suck it up, move on, like just move on. Mm -hmm. And so we have trapped, trapped emotions for so long in our bodies and they're not meant to stay there. And sometimes they'll come out in a way that's not even related to what we're doing. Like, it's like, why wasn't even that upset? Why did that come out then doing elliptical? Why is it coming out then? Because your body's going, don't want to hold this anymore. Can we just get rid of this? And I just was curious. and I'm so glad you went there because when it comes to sharing a vulnerable story, I've done this. I've seen multiple people do it. It takes a lot out of you. It's a, it's, it's a, it's not, it is not an easy process. And I just want to share that as having a conversation with somebody who really did share a vulnerable story, what that experience was like for you, because it's easy to read your book and go like, wow, that's so inspiring. And it is. But Mm -hmm. a lot of work went through. A lot of work.
1: Uh, On my first page, I don't know if it's on Amazon, but the the testimonial page that I've got on here, this book nearly killed me. I mean, it really did. At the time, they thought I was a smoker. I said, no, I don't smoke. I'm writing a damn book, and it's stressing me out, and I'm sitting down all the time. And so what happened was blood clots had formed in my lungs and my legs uh, throughout my body. At the same time, I got pneumonia. I uh, went to the intensive care unit at uh, Stone Oak Methodist Hospital in San Antonio, Texas. Yeah. Yeah. I went into the ICU, went to the, I, intensive care unit. They kept. I, I had a. I asked that question. So, many, do you smoke? I said, No, I don't smoke. I said, But I used to smoke cigars in Afghanistan and things. No, we're talking about cigarettes. I said, Oh my gosh, no, I don't smoke cigarettes. Come on. So, um, what have you been doing? Uh, so, so uh, you know, you know, you. Well, they did have a very honest. Uh, said, you know that this is a bad situation that you're in, and you need to sign a DNR, do not resuscitate, because you know, a ventilator is going to be hell to die on and you don't want to die that way. It's better to just go ahead and take you off the plug. And I said, yeah. So we went and talked about the, how the obituary, my wife came up. She says, okay, you know, where the the is at? Y'all know what to do on that. And you know where I'm going to die at. It's going to be the federal cemetery there. And so that's where I want. It was, I didn't have COVID, but I couldn't bring any family members or friends. A lot of people said, well, come over. I said, you can't get in here. Cause they don't, you can only have one person as a guest. And so, but we went through all that discussion and um, I, I'd already set up designated beneficiaries in my mutual fund. So we said this, but I just uh, let me give me a good, uh, give me a good obituary when I die. And then I called my, I was able to call, I was on oxygen. I called up my rider, my ghost rider. Everybody has a ghost I said, get this damn thing done. It's going to kill me. And that's that. He says, no, you're not going to die. I said, yes, you don't know what's going on here, but just get the damn Just for my own sake, please get this damn thing done. And I come up with him and uh, I did go through three days, ICU. Uh, the hepron blood filters and the antibiotics for the pneumonia, it really did a good number on me. And uh, I do remember, I don't know what it was, but they want me to lay down in a bed. And I said, no, I need to, I need to get up. Yeah. And once I got up, this is, are you sure you get?" I said, I want to get up. I said, my goal is to get over to that, 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 I want, I, I want to go over to the, the, that, that couch over there. He said, you can't go there. I said, well, I can't. Well, uh, but I said, I feel so good when I'm up. And when I'm laying down. I feel like shit. It's like, oh man, are you sure? I, said, and I felt, I don't know what it was. I, said, I stretched out, got my like, wow, this is good. And then I says, and I, I would do that. I would get up, uh, instead of laying down, I'd get up and it helped me out and it felt, felt like a damn orgasm of some sort and i think wow this i've never felt so good just getting up yeah. and um <clears throat> so um i eventually did that a few times and they still had the hepron they had my oxygen and i uh, said so, and then eventually they said hey you're doing really good we don't have to do any type of operations and we can take you off this oxygen later they're going to wean me down i went into the regular or the other uh hospital room that was not the icu i was like dang, and then uh then i got better and better and uh eventually uh was able to get wheelchair chaired out of the hospital. And eventually I was back doing physical fitness again uh, within two months. Yeah. So yeah. How long ago was that? That was in February of 2021.
0: 2021. So you're at a point there where you're working with a ghostwriter, you're working through your story, you're working through some vulnerable parts of your story. And all of a sudden you find yourself with blood clots in the ICU, planning your obituary planning out like your <laughs> sorry just gonna be like just being direct here and you're planning out your diet <laughs> i'm done you're everyone around you is like no stay flat and you're like no i have to get up i just know i have to, I have get, to up. get up i, I know have i have to
1: get up because it feels so damn good so i don't want to feel. i know I, but if i get up i says and eventually i want to walk i want to get out because if it feels good getting up maybe i can get over there and uh I, so I, I just uh and so yeah yeah i don't know what it is about laying down but i tell you what I, when I got up, I tried to get up all the time. I said, "Well, I can do some sit-ups. <laughs> At least I can do some sit-ups in here." And uh, because I was just going through, I was feeling that, that it was felt so good to get up. And, uh, and uh, so yeah, if I lay, I don't want. I didn't. I didn't feel like laying down. I said, I "So I wanted to get up." Now, 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 yeah, yeah. Damn near killed me. Uh, it was a book uh, putting it together. The stress, the flashbacks, and then just sitting down. Sometimes I'd sit down and stress on a computer. And then that wasn't a good thing. I I got away from my normal physical fitness and I said, I'm going to knock all this stuff out on the book. And that was a bad thing. (laughs) So, uh, and I, and then I eventually said, I'm never going to sit down again. I'm sitting down now, but uh, I got a table where I can stand up. Most of the time I'm standing up at a table. And so, uh, but yeah, not that I need to anymore because I'm on, I'm on Blithner. So, Mm
0: -hmm. but that process, it's do you feel like you can attribute a lot of that to what you were going through to write down and share your story? I'm not saying you didn't have health issues at the time, but that was a contributing factor. And I I really wanted to share it. Thank you for going there for sharing this because, um, yeah, somebody might be going, well, why would I want to share a story if this was going to feel like-
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just caught you off guard. <laughs> no, I mean, why would anybody want to share this? Well, it, it, it is. It, it is a story of its own. I defied the odds with the book. Yeah. Um, I, I became obsessed with the book, possessed by it. Matter of fact, I said, this is my dream. I'm not. See, uh, this is my story. And this is also my story of my father. And uh, it, it, well, I'm knocking a lot of things out. This is kind of a, it had been nagging on me for years. And I just just became obsessed and possessed. And I said, well, yeah. this vulnerability. And that is it. Because to be vulnerable and to put it out there is not that's not considered normal, but that's what the therapists tell you to do. And that's what I said, well, uh, they can't take this away from me. I can't take that. I had to learn out what statute of limitations was, change people's names. Make sure. You're always thinking somebody's going to read this book and then they're going to have a lawsuit and things. But if yeah. you if you do it, you know, in, in accordance with, uh, you know, the proper guidelines, uh, you, you probably are not going to have that uh, issue um, uh, with that. So I haven't I haven't had any issues so far. Yeah. Knocking on wood now.
0: No, I just thank you for sharing that. So did you, when you were having some of those rough days while you're writing, how did you move yourself through? Like, did you focus on the end result? Did you focus on like, this is what I'm doing? I know this is hard. Like, how did you navigate? Because I think there's something really valuable in what you're sharing right there for somebody who's listening and wants to share. Because I get approached on a regular basis. I help people write vulnerable stories. I help them move through them. And I know what it takes for somebody to even come to the point of saying, I think I want to do this. They've probably thought about it for years or their whole lifetime, right? They haven't even, and all of a sudden it's like, I want to do this, but I'm scared. So how did you navigate and help yourself through some of those really difficult days of sharing
1: the story? Well, some days I was scared to look at the computer or the manuscript. I was very scared. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I would shake. uh, I would cry. I, I, I just... I mean, I already had a low processing ability anyway, and this thing just took me down a few more notches. So I had to have a ghostwriter to help me out. Sometimes I just took a break like a week off or something. I'll take a week off and then I would come back to it, get my my energy together. And, you know, seeing this stuff in black and white, and I knew that I was not, I knew that I had to put it out there and that was so hard to do. And uh, we went through another process, which was hard as well. And that's the audio book. The audio book brought we had the manuscript done and while I was reading the audiobook my brain came up with all these other vulnerable, crazy stories that sort of added to the themes and so we adjusted the manuscript from the audiobook because it came out with so much more Mm -hmm. I worked on that thing for I mean I talking and talking and talking on that audio take 10 take 20 take 30 and they they would snip it in this audacity program uh, and I was just doing and and so then that's how we got that together and that that Doing the audiobook came up with more stories, man, and uh, money meant to add to the themes. And uh, I have an a- anxiety attack. Okay, so that was ICU. That was a serious one where I almost died. But then I also had a, uh, an anxiety attack and went into the hospital. So, um, but I would have to maybe just take my time. That's why these things probably take a long time. And uh, I was at my wits' end. I said, we got to get that. I don't, I, me, I, I was burned out. My, my, my ghostwriter was burned out. And I said, I'd rather. It, it, it ain't been, we do need a proofread on it, but it, it looks, you can read it and uh, let's just get this thing out of here and we can always go back and do a second edition or something. But it was, we were at the finish line and we were entirely just exhausted. And I said, man, I can't, I gotta have this guy with me. I don't want him to run away. But um, so, uh, because I need his help. And uh, that's kind of how that process went. You know? mm-hmm.
0: Thank you for sharing that. Like it's, I want you to think for a second, like as, as you were today, right? Because it released in January, just January of this year. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. January. Only six months ago, like really. Um, if you could look back at that version of yourself who struggled through hospitalization, anxiety, through blood clots, what message would you say to that younger version of yourself who kept going, even though it would have been easier to quit?
1: Well, you're going to make it and you're going to do well, and uh, but you just got to stick with it and uh, yeah you you're, you're going to do it you'll make it just stick with it stick with the goal there and uh and and do that and go ahead and produce this thing and uh got to understand I was also fighting I am not the greatest reading and writing person at all I mean I got some college degrees but I had to have a writer I had to hire somebody and then have you put a lot of trust and faith in your ghost writer that you know they're going to do it and then you know, you don't, he got burned too. I mean, it is a lot of work. It has a lot of work on both sides of the house. And so, uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I would say, Hey, yeah, you can do it. Just keep on, keep on and take a break or so if you get tired and then, but just keep it on. Yeah. You know? mm,
0: beautiful. Beautiful. What is the name of your book for everybody who's listening?
1: It's a soldier against all odds, a soldier against all odds. I'm on jasonpike.org, jasonpike.org. I'm on all the, uh, once you go to jasonpike.org, you'll see all the other Instagrams and Facebooks and all the other social media there. Uh, a Soldier Against All Odds. And yeah, so uh, donations, I'm not going to make a whole lot of money, but everything I donate is back to the veterans anyway. So, uh, but yeah, just leave a review, what have you. Uh, and I'm pretty much, well, we're already working on another book. It's not going to be as wild and fun to read as this. It's, it's more of a self-help guide for veterans to uh, get the benefits, how to how to how to get through that. And, and I'm going to tell you in my way of what I, I'm not going to be. I'm not an authority, but I I got my I got my ways around things and I figure I, we could we could put it in my type of voice in my a well,
0: language and so forth. Yeah. You 100% can. And I actually, I love hearing that you're going to do this because a lot of people are afraid to show up and share, right, what they have come through because they're like, well, I'm not a licensed therapist and I'm not a licensed coach and I can't do those things. I think when you preface it in a way, like I often hear, um, Ed Milet's one of my favorite podcasters and he talks about, you know, you like, you are perfectly designed to help the person that you once were. And don't let like the thought of, but I'm not qualified, stop you because you're going to have way better experience in this than what I am. And potentially even than some licensed therapists who've never had to walk in your shoes. I think there's something that's so relatable and real that you can share that most people can't. So I love that you're doing that.
1: Yes. Yes. And, um, the good thing about this thing is there's a lot out there that we can go from. And so we're, instead of reinventing the wheel, like we had to, we had to make the new wheel with this book. Nobody comes out as a senior person saying how screwed up they are in life. And so, but, but with this self-help guy, uh, it'll be more of something to go by. We have other resources we can kind of look at, not, not plagiarism, but it's more, I put it in your own language. Type of thing, mm-hmm. you know? mm-hmm.
0: It's beautiful. Honestly, just beautiful. Um, oh, I could talk to you for so long because there's so many different parts of your story. But what I do want to ask you is what does own your choices, on your life mean to you? And where is there one point in your life? I know you've given lots, but where was there a point in your life where you're like, yep, I definitely had to do that?
1: That's when I joined the army in 1983. I was 17 years old. My dad had always, he's always said, we're not, I'm not taking care of you after the age of 18 and you're on your own. You're, you're, it's your own life. You make your own bed, do all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I went to Fort Hill, Oklahoma, I nearly got kicked out uh, because I wasn't adapting I, uh, the instructions and things. And I, I went to a criminal confinement facility and that was just another level of hell uh, that they almost. And I, I I made it out of there and came back, changed. And I said, well, this is going to be I've got to figure out a way to get to college. <laughs> I've got to figure out a way to. Get a whatever, and and that became more of I own it. Like once you go through hell, then you are sustained, and then you know your dad's telling you, you know, I mean? we we know. And so I I, I own my own life. Uh, I, my, as in my truck, I paid for my truck. I'm gonna sleep with my own truck if I have to sleep in the back of it or whatever it takes. And um, so that's kind of that's how that happened.
0: Yeah, I love that, and I mean, like there's so many examples in your life that you did it. And I also think it's funny because I can think I come from the era where it's like when you're this age, like you're not our problem anymore. Like that was, it was actually kind of how it was said, (laughs) right? People, parents nowadays would be mortified to hear that, but that's literally what it was like. You're at this age, like you're good, like not our issue anymore. And so it's so different. It's so different. Um, I have loved all of this conversation and I cannot thank you enough for all of your years of service for the work that you did to put this vulnerable book out into the world and for sharing so much of yourself with us during this episode, because I'm forever saying we need more and more men to be vulnerable, to practice vulnerability. And you did it here. You've done it in your book. And I know that you're just creating this level of freedom and example for other veterans, what you can do and how you can continue to move forward. So for that, I thank you and I appreciate this time with you. And I have one more question for you. Okay. What lesson in life are you most grateful for?
1: Lesson in life. I'm most grateful for. Whoa, gosh. I love this question. (laughs) Mm. Well, I'm going to go back to, uh, when I had that DUI, that uh, driving under the influence of alcohol, that was a lesson. And that was a lesson in uh, getting my act together in a different way. Not necessarily quitting drinking, but stop drinking and driving and having calling cabs and getting other people to help you out. And I, and it also, that lesson said, you know what? I could have easily gotten kicked out of here. And what, what am I going to do? I've been fired from jobs. I, I'm going to go back to the National Guard, go back to the nasty girl. So I don't want to do that. And I said, "Well, I've got a." That taught me to get my act together a little bit better and uh, put me a little bit more serious. Uh, on, I, I'm not above the law, and I can't just do everything that I think I can do. So, uh, yeah, uh, that's that was a lesson in life. Yeah,
0: thank <laughs> you for sharing that. I cannot tell you how many people I interview on this show who, when I ask them that question, they always take it back to a situation in their life that. Could have broke them, like that could have it could have stopped them, it could have completely shut down. And that's a moment where they're like, I have gratitude for that because that changed the trajectory of my life. And I just I love that so much because when people are listening, again, we're always looking at like the the shiny objects that oh he's an author and he's done all these amazing things. Yeah, he is. And don't forget the 50 chapters that led up to that of how hard it was to get to there because I just I think the backstory is incredibly important and I think we skip over it a lot.
1: Yeah. yeah, It's like, it's like vomiting. You, what you do is uh, the ghostwriter told me just vomit, whatever's on your mind, just throw Wait. it out there. He's on he's, And then, and then I, what I'll do, I'm the artist. I'll get those colors of vomit and I'll make themes and things of that nature. And so I said, yeah, and I will. I just talking to the phone or talking here because I can't write too well. So I just throw it out. And he's, yeah, man, that's a, go for that. Go with that. Go with that. that. And so that's kind of how that went. Zoom, zoom, zoom all the time on message, calling and email. Oh, kind of crazy. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's like he 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 painted your book from vomit and you're able to <laughs> 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 Oh, you shared such a real snapshot. I absolutely love it. I go for real any day. So I love it. Thank you so much for being
1: here, Jason. Honestly, I love this conversation. I hey, great. I'm uh, proud to be on your show, Marsha, and uh, we'll take care. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. If you love this episode, I invite you to tag me on social media with your takeaways or share it with a friend. Please, if you feel called, take 30 seconds to leave a five-star review, and I will be forever grateful. Until next time, remember, when you own your choices, you truly own your life.